Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to The Crossing today, whether you are joining us from the Vegas area or around the world. If you are new around here, maybe someone texted you an invite or you discovered us online, I want to especially welcome you. We love that you're here, and we would love for you to take the first step in getting plugged into The Crossing community. Well, the number one question I'm getting these days is when will we meet together again? The answer to that question is, I don't know. The governor has given us a three-phase plan in opening our city back up, and churches our size fit into the third phase of this plan. But I thought it'd be helpful to share the guiding principles that we have in regards to when we will physically meet again on our campus locations. The first is this, the crossing has never closed. We are reaching and engaging more people than ever before. People are joining us for the first time. We've had nearly 1,000 people get into an online life group. People are responding to Jesus. Our church continues to be generous. We're serving the community in significant ways. Remember, we don't go to church. We are the church. And our church has never closed. The second is this, we don't want to gather physically until it can be a great experience for everyone. Our church doesn't operate well under strict social distancing guidelines. For us, kids are a top priority, and they don't know how to social distance until we can provide weekend services and family ministry environments in a safe way we will continue to meet online. And then here's the third thing. We don't want to gather physically too soon and unnecessarily jeopardize lives or our witness to the city. Reopening our buildings too soon could send the message to our community that we don't take their safety seriously. Our mandate as followers of Jesus is to love our neighbor. And one of the ways that we do that is by keeping them safe. In addition, when we are able to gather again on our campuses, we want every first-time guest to have a positive crossing experience. When we start again, we'll probably start physically in smaller gatherings in phases that small groups and ministries might start meeting before our weekend services come together that we're continually seeking wisdom from people around the country and from our local authorities. So we'll keep you updated on all the latest. In the meantime, can I ask you to do three things? Number one, would you continue to stay engaged online? That we are all experiencing some screen fatigue from Zoom calls, from the online reality, but remember, it has never been easier to invite someone to church. So grab a digital invite on our website or social media and share it with a friend. Or you can just hold your camera up to this QR code right here. And this will take you straight to a digital invite page on our website. Here's the second thing, is continue connecting with your life group. Groups are the backbone of our church, and you can jump on board with an online group at any time. And then here's the third thing. 
let's continue to serve our city. The needs, the physical, financial, emotional, and spiritual needs, they are great. And we want to continue to mobilize our church to meet and serve our city. And your generosity equips us to meet the rapidly growing needs as they arise. So let me just thank you for continuing to be the church. Just as your pastor, I can't wait till we get to meet again. But until then, just thank you for being a part of the crossing. Well, if you're a parent, then you're used to being asked a lot of questions from your kids. Like, why are you wearing a mask? Why are you home all the time? Why do I have to brush my teeth? Why do I have to eat broccoli? Which I think is a valid question. They ask, where do babies come from? Is Major League Baseball ever going to start up again? Why is ESPN always showing old games on TV? Why do they get to hang out with their friends, but I don't? Asking questions. It's just part of the human experience. Well, what about when we have questions for God? Are those okay to ask? Is is God offended or mad when we question him or have questions about why he does what he does? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. That we're walking through the gospel of Mark in this series that we are calling Marked. Because you couldn't come in contact with Jesus without being marked by him, without being impacted by his life. And the Gospel of Mark is the account of Jesus' life from Simon Peter's perspective, and it was written down by John Mark. And Peter through Mark will tell how Jesus was constantly on the move. Mark will use the word immediately 12 times in his Gospel. You will see Jesus go from place to place, encounter to encounter, in rapid succession. He will start his gospel by describing what Jesus came to do. Here's what Jesus says. He says, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. And wherever God is, the kingdom of God is near. And now that Jesus has come, God has come near. And so the appropriate response to us is to repent and believe the good news. That Jesus came to bring good news. Well, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. And so let me give you a little bit of background that will help you understand what's going on here. Herod the Great, you might remember, was the king of Israel when Jesus was born. Herod the Great is the one who had all the baby boys that were born in Bethlehem, killed. And before he died, he had a bunch of sons. But let me tell you about just three of them. One of his sons was named Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the king over the Galilee region. This is the region where Jesus lived during his ministry years. Another son was named Herod Philip. Now, Herod Philip didn't become a king, but he was a powerful man in that region. And then there was another son. His name was Herod Aristobulus. Herod Aristobulus. And he was the son 
of Herod the Great's favorite wife, which makes me want to comment about that, but I'm going to restrain myself. But Herod Aristobulus, he had a daughter by the name of Herodias. Now, you see all of these names together, Herod Antipas, Herod Philip, Herod Aristobulus, Herodias. It makes me think of George Foreman. You know, George Foreman has five sons, and they're all named George. There's George Jr., George III, George IV, George V, and George VI. It's, it's kind of the same with these guys right here. Well, anyway, Philip ends up marrying Herodias. Now, he did what you're thinking. He married his niece. Well, one day, Herod Antipas was visiting his brother, Herod Philip, and he fell in love with his brother's wife, who was also his niece. So Herod Antipas finally convinced her to leave her husband, Philip, and to marry him. And you thought your family was dysfunctional. Well, John the Baptist started to preach against Herodias, which she did not take kindly. So she convinced Herod to have John the Baptist arrested and thrown into prison. And this is where we're going to pick up our story in Mark chapter 6. This is what it says in verse 17. It says, For Herod himself had given orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put into prison. He did this because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he married. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. When Herod heard John, he was greatly puzzled, yet he liked to listen to him. Apparently, whenever King Herod Antipas would get bored, he would send for John, and he would have John brought up out from prison, and John would preach to him for his entertainment. And for whatever reason, he liked to listen to him. Well, back in Mark chapter 1, Peter tells us about John the Baptist, that John the Baptist was by the Jordan River. He was baptizing people, telling them that they needed needed to repent, to change their ways because the Messiah had come. His whole purpose, John the Baptist's whole purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. John had a group of his own disciples And they visited him in prison. They took care of his needs. And they were giving him the update about Jesus. And I want to pick up this story in Luke chapter 7 because Luke shares something that Mark leaves out, that that Peter left out of his story in Mark 6. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 7. It says, John's disciples told him about all these things. They tell him about all the things that Jesus was doing. All of the people that Jesus was healing, that Jesus was performing all of these miracles. And so they come and they're telling John the Baptist about all Jesus was doing. It goes on and it says, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? 
His disciples have to be thinking, what? John, you're the one who's been telling people that Jesus is the one. But John's been in prison for about 10 months at this point, and he's starting to have questions about Jesus. Is Jesus really the Messiah, or have I completely wasted my life? Isn't it interesting that when our circumstances change, whether it's a change for the better or for the worse, it can impact our confidence in God. See, this doesn't just happen with us. This happened with John the Baptist as well. John the Baptist is the one that Jesus said about him. He said, among those born of women, which would be everyone, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. He said that John the Baptist was the greatest of men, and yet he struggled with God, and his circumstances did not change. So if John questioned his faith, then you will probably have times where you struggle with yours as well. When your circumstances become difficult, it can impact your faith, and we start to question God. Well, it goes on to say in verse 20, it says, When the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one? Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, Of course I'm the one. Tell John I'm the one. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Tell John we're getting him out of prison tonight. I'm going to bring the rock and the sons of thunder and we're going to break him out tonight. He doesn't say, tell John there's a reason for everything. There's a reason for everything and this is part of God's bigger plan. Jesus doesn't even answer their question. It says, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus right here. He is quoting from a prophecy out of the book of Isaiah that talks about the coming of the Messiah. In Isaiah, it says when the Messiah comes, he will proclaim good news to the poor. The blind will receive sight. The lame will walk. The dead will be raised. But I don't want you to miss this. He says, you go back and you tell John what you have seen and heard. Hey, guys. Go tell John what you see God doing right now. Let me just stop here for a minute. Because most of us, we have this fundamental belief about God that goes like this. Life is good, therefore God is near. Think about the things that we say. You get a new job and we say, man, God is so good. We find toilet paper at the store and we go, God must be near. You get good news, and you say, God really showed up today. But when things are not so good, 
We say, where is God? Why did he let this happen? I feel like God is punishing me. Our belief begins to look like this, that life is not good, therefore God is not near. Difficulties expose the authenticity of our confidence in God, don't they? And it's not like this is a decision that we make. It just happens. When you are facing a trial, immediately you discover something about your faith. You discover what you believe, what you really believe, or what you're pretending to believe. What we all have in common is this. We all face difficulties. We all have moments that test our faith and cause us to ask those questions. So so what do you do in those moments? Jesus tells John, but more than that, Jesus tells you and me how to take the next step of faith. You look at what you've seen and heard. Let me apply it for us. Because this is what it looks like for us. It's this right here. That you look back at God's faithfulness to move forward in faith. That you look back at God's faithfulness. You look back at what he has done for you. How he has brought you through in the past. How he saved you. So many of you have a story of of what your life looked like before you came to Jesus. You begin to look at how he answered prayer. You look back to the last time you were in a financial crisis, a difficult time in your marriage, a health issue, or a time of loneliness. And God came through at just the right time. I'll tell you what I've learned to do when I'm going through a difficult time is I begin to look for God's hand in my life, how he is working, how he is moving, And the reason that I have to look for it, because if I don't look for it, I'll completely miss it. And then what I try to do is I just try to write it down. I try to write down how God was faithful in my life or spoke to me through a verse in the Bible because I tend to forget it if I don't write it down. When you look back at God's faithfulness, that is, is what helps you to move forward in faith. What is the next right step that God is calling you to? See, this is how God grows our faith during a difficult season. It's okay to ask all the questions you want, but look back at how God has brought you through the tough times in your past, and that is what enables you to take that step of faith in your life. Well, let me tell you how the story ends with John the Baptist. This is what Peter tells us back in Mark chapter 6. It says, finally, the opportune time came. On his birthday, Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. When the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. Well, they have this huge party where all of the powerful people attend, all of the who's who of the Galilee region, they show up. 
and Herodias's daughter dances at the party for Herod. Now, I'm just guessing this wasn't like ballet or something like that. Maybe it was. I'm thinking that it wasn't. It goes on to say, the king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And he promised her with an oath, whatever you ask, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. After the dance, Herod is in such a frenzy. He says, I will give you whatever you want up to half the kingdom. Who does that? She said, hold on to that thought. I'm going to go talk to my mama. Says she went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? The head of John the Baptist, she answered. At once, the girl hurried in to the king with the request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. Well, King Herod was troubled by the request, but because of his pride, he couldn't back out. So he gave the order and John was beheaded. And it had nothing to do with how God felt about him. Your circumstances do not reflect how God feels about you. Proof of how God feels about you, it happened on the cross. Not what's happening at home or at work or at school or with your money. So the question becomes, not if you have questions for God, but what are you going to do with your questions for God? And here's what we do. We look back at God's faithfulness and we move forward in faith. We look back at God's faithfulness and we move forward in faith. You look around. How is God working? What is he doing? You look back at those answered prayers. You look back to when God intervened or provided at just the right time. And you will find your faith. Our memory verse for this week comes out of 1 Thessalonians. And here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. He says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That you want to know what God's will for your life is? We all have, have these questions. God, what's your will for my life? This is it. That you give thanks in all circumstances. It doesn't say give thanks for all circumstances. That would be hard to do. However, I can give thanks in all circumstances. So I want us just to say this together. And we're going to say this in two parts. So I'm going to say the first part. You're going to repeat after me in your home. Then I'll say the second part. You can repeat after me. And then we'll put it all together. So let's say this together. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now it's your time. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So let's say this again so that it really penetrates your heart. But let's just put it all together right now. Let's say this together. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you 
in Christ Jesus. Faith is our response to God. Faith is saying, God, we trust you even when we don't see what you're doing. God uses the difficult moments to grow our faith. Our faith does not grow in the easy stretches of life. I wish it did, but it doesn't. It's during those difficult moments that our faith is made stronger. The thing that you may want removed the most is the very thing that God has chosen to use. When you see it, it marks you for life. So I want to close in prayer. But this is the prayer that I want to pray with you. That I want you to begin to pray this prayer. And, and maybe you have a bunch of questions. Maybe you can't imagine how God could possibly use what you are facing right now. I just want to encourage you just to pray this prayer right here. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. So can I just ask you just to bow your heads and just to spend a moment and just to pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, use this until you choose to remove this. Say that right now. God, we come to you, and the, and the truth is we have so many questions in our life. So many questions about what's going on right now, but God, it's bigger than that. Because there are so many things that we deal with, and sometimes we just don't understand why you do what you do or why you don't do what we think you should do. God, I pray that you would begin to help us to see your faithfulness in the past and that would give us the courage to move forward in faith right now. So God, whatever we're dealing with, I pray that you would use it. You would use it to make us the person of God that you want us to be. And God, when you choose to remove it, that we would be more like Jesus afterwards. So God, we surrender to you. We submit to you. God, we love you and trust you. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to just encourage you that maybe you just have some prayer needs in your life right now, that if you just go to this site right here on our website, thecrossinglv.com slash prayer, we would love to pray for you. We would love to have our prayer team come in and be involved in your life right now. Mm -hmm.